Today's episode is brought to you by the U.S. Bank Altitude Go Visa Signature Card. To learn more, visit usbank.com slash altitude go. Today's episode is brought to you by Wise, the account that helps you manage your money around the world, which is huge for travelers. I've been a customer and a fan for 10 years. The Wise account helps you send, spend, and receive in different currencies fast, and they do it all without hidden fees or exchange rate markups. This service has been so critical for me in my life as a traveler, as a nomad, as somebody living abroad, and you can join 16 million customers and learn how the Wise account can help you out on the road at wise.com slash travel. That's wise, W-I-S-E dot com slash travel, or download the app. This episode of Zero to Travel is brought to you by the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder with seven drive modes. The Pathfinder's available intelligent 4x4 is built for even the most epic journeys. Learn more at NissanUSA.com. Have you had this fantasy before? Somewhere in the world, as a traveler, you're walking around someplace, and for some reason, you just fall in love with it. Whether it's the people you meet, the food, the culture, all of it together, the vibes, the, the sounds that are filling the air. Who knows why? For some reason, we get connected in a certain way to certain places. And then we think, oh, maybe I could live here. <laughs> We've all done it. We've all had that fantasy. I think it's natural as a traveler to go around and, and you have an open mind. You're thinking about what life is like for these people in this place and what it might be like for you if you joined them. Well, I am here to indulge that fantasy for you today. I brought on an expert who specializes in international real estate, and you're going to get the 101 on buying international real estate. And it's not just a fantasy. I mean, there are a lot of places you can move that would be a lifestyle upgrade in many ways for you. And who knows, you might not be interested in buying real estate in another country right now, but you may be someday. And maybe that someday is sooner than later for some people with remote work opening up and becoming more mainstream. It really gives us a lot of options. So whether you may one day want to either buy real estate overseas or invest internationally, and in this show, we cover a broad range of topics, starting off with who should not buy real estate overseas. That was an important question that I wanted answered right off the bat. Of course, we get into some of the legalities. We talk about some of the trends and different destinations that may be up and coming, the common mistakes many buyers make and how you can avoid them, and so much more. It's all packed into this entertaining and informative interview you're going to hear in this show right now. So buckle up, strap in. Thank you so much for being here and welcome to the Zero to Travel podcast, my friend. You're listening to the Zero to Travel podcast, where we explore exciting travel-based work, lifestyle, and business opportunities, helping you to achieve your wildest travel dreams. And now your host, world wanderer and travel junkie, Jason Moore. Hey, what's up? It's Jason with ZeroToTravel.com. Welcome to the show. Thanks for hanging out, letting me bring a little travel into your ears today. This is the show to help you travel the world on your terms to fill your life 
with as much travel as you desire, no matter what your situation or experience. Welcome. How are you doing today, my friend? I'm here in my home studio, aka the office, aka the loftus. It's up in the loft here. So I call it a loftus. Loftus? Loftus? Anyway, I'm looking at some camping gear because we finally got a four person tent. You know, I have two kids and we're thinking about, oh boy taking our first (laughs) camping trip here as a family, walking into the woods near our house, heading somewhere where we can walk to and just doing the thing. Now, my son's almost three and my daughter is five. So it should be an interesting experience. The light here in Norway is very long this time of year. Hopefully they sleep. Wish me luck if we end up doing this. What are you up to? You getting outside? Are you doing anything exciting? Got any adventures planned? You know, this will be a first for me, and it's always fun to have some travel firsts, right? You can still get them at any age. Even me, uh, a, an old Gen Xer, can still have a travel first. I can officially say I've never done a camping trip with my entire family, so... <laughs> Anyway, yeah, wish me luck. And you got any tips, send them my way. Speaking of getting in touch, you can always hit me up. Jason at zerototravel.com is my email address. I read all of the reviews I get. And you can also leave me a message very easily. If you just click on the link in the show notes here, you'll find that wherever you're listening to this podcast. I have a special shout out and a congratulations to somebody in this community. Now, this shout out is from a review I recently got referring to an episode I published some weeks back with Brooke Thayer. She took an adult gap year, and the title of this review was Gap the Mind. And I wanted to give this person a shout out because they took some serious action. So in the review, he said, uh, I've been vaguely, I'm I'm assuming it's a he because the title of the reviewer was a good guy to know. And uh, he said, I've been vaguely kicking around the idea of long-term travel for way too long and have gotten very good at presenting myself with novel and competing reasons why I can't go just yet. Maybe next year. Tonight, I picked a random podcast to listen to while on my nightly run that turned out to be everything I needed to hear, but I didn't know it. First of all, Brooke's story really spoke to me. I live in San Francisco. My father lives in Seattle. I'm a little bit older than Brooke, and I can totally relate to having an established home and a social network that you have to leave. I'm really impressed with her for giving up her rent control department in San Fran after 10 years. But she said all the things that I needed to be reminded about, and Jason prompted her to talk about some things that I hadn't thought about yet, but I found inspiring. By the end of my hour and a half run, I had made up my mind to put my plans from the quote-unquote on-hold pile into the quote-unquote in-motion pile. I have been slowly inching toward doing this for a long time, and Brooke has just made me realize that all of my excuses for not being gone already are a load of crap. I'll keep you posted when I'm on my adventure, but thanks to both you and Brooke, San Francisco has changed a lot in the last year. You did the right thing by giving up the apartment to meet the world. Can we give it up for a good guy to know here? That is so great, and I wanted to highlight this because, wow, one podcast and you made the decision you went from on hold to in motion that is incredible so whoever you are a good guy to know i wanted to say congratulations to you and uh you know that's the point of this show here uh, you never know when a guest is going to be hitting your ears at, at a certain time and what you might take from it and certainly it sounds like you took a lot from this episode and i hope everybody listening takes a lot from the interview today about international real estate 
because, hey, you just never know if you might want to move overseas. What does that involve? Is that something you even want to get into as an investment, as a, as a place to live? I think uh, travelers more than anybody are, are going to be the first people to kind of jump ship and leave their home country to live in another place. Certainly a lot of pros and cons when it comes to that. We've talked about it a lot on the podcast. But uh, either way, it's a consideration for a lot of us, I think, whether it's now or in the near future and the far future. It's always good to stay on top of these things. And this podcast interview is a great 101 on buying international real estate with a real expert. So I hope you enjoy listening into my conversation with John, and I will see you on the other side with some commentary, and I'll leave you with an inspiring quote for the day, as always. Stick around for that, and please enjoy this conversation. I am on the line with John Sterling, and he is the founder of expathomes.io. They help people buy property in places outside of their home countries. And as the world has become more comfortable with remote work, they've seen their business grow alongside that trend. And we're here to pick his brain about international real estate, which is a huge topic. So John, welcome to the Zero to Travel podcast, my friend. Thank you. Happy to be here. I I don't know where to begin. I mean, I have a ton of questions. Uh, I, I guess the best place to start would be how did you get involved in this in this business that you're in? Well, that's a good question. Yeah. I um, So I've spent most of my career, uh, my adult life in real estate in some capacity. So um, started out as an agent pretty quickly out of uh, university, then got into managing brokerages, um, launching new brokerages in markets where we didn't have them. Um, and then after the last financial crash, I was the guy who was young and mobile and foolish enough to go to all of the markets that were struggling and uh, fixing those those companies that were having issues. Um, so because of all that broad experience, I got sent over to the UK when our company expanded outside the US uh, so to get, get things going in London. So I didn't know anyone in London. I didn't know how the business worked. Uh, but that experience over there kind of kicked off what I do now, which is expat homes. Um, and it started out as it was really nothing more than a spreadsheet with all of my contacts. <laughs> so, um, and then it just like all good even, businesses started out with yeah, a spreadsheet, right? right? It's like I wish I wish I could say there was some, you know, it was some woke up in the middle of the night with this brilliant idea, but no, it was I was just reacting to the headaches I had every day, and uh, I was like, okay, because being in London, we didn't have the, the big company um, in the U.S. We didn't have any other uh, significant European presence. So everyone knew I was there. So like just my you know, connections with the company and all the rest. Uh, so anytime uh, they would have consumer needs in anywhere in Europe, uh, they would call me first. They're like, hey, who do you know in Germany? Hey, who do you know in Italy? Um, for each one of those countries, I had to go research, okay, can we trust the agents there? Yes or no? Usually it's a no. Um, you know, like what's the setup? Do they, you know, is there like buyer agency, which doesn't exist really outside the US and Canada? Um, so you're only dealing with listing agents, which has a new set of problems. Um, you know, is there licensing in those those countries? Because most countries outside the US don't require any sort of license to become a real estate agent. So you can just print up business cards and congratulations, you're an agent. Um, so anyway, so, so that's how it all started. Um, and then when I came back to the US in 2016, 
thank you, Brexit. Um, then I just had this, you know, this foundation that I used to kick off uh, what you see now. So now it's a full, you know, marketplace property search portal. Um, and we have a bunch of added services that our people provide. I mean, we just kind of are the, the middlemen. So we don't, you know, we're not a brokerage, you know, we don't list properties ourselves. We put them on our sites, you know, for advertising purposes, but, um, you know, it's like, we're not the agents for any of those properties that you see. Um, so, so anyway, so that's the kind of the quick overview. Okay. So is it more of a listing site where people can, can list and. Yeah, it's, it's both. I mean, people can, so the people that are listing on the site are generally consumers. So like, uh, you know, people who have homes to sell. Um, so they'll put them on the site cause they don't, you know, again, they don't necessarily like the agents in town or they want to try things without paying an agent first, which is fine. Um, and then you have a bunch of buyers, people who like to shop for homes. Um, so they're all connecting there. So it kind of has multiple uses. We get a lot of traffic, people asking about off market properties. Do you know that term? No. So, okay. So it's, um, it's, it's kind of a misnomer, even though everyone in the industry knows it because they actually are on the market, just not the public market. So what they, what they mean by off market is, uh, properties that are just not publicly listed. So it's homes that are for sale. So let's say, you know, you have a, uh, you know, 2 million pound flat in central London, you know, a sexy location. Um, you don't want your neighbors to know that you're looking to sell, but you would entertain offers if you could find one. So you enlist the help of an agent who has access to buyers to go find you an offer and then you transact and nobody knows until it's done. Um, and people do this for a number of reasons. Uh, a lot of times in the UK, it was due to privacy concerns. Um, you just have a lot of wealthy people who are very into privacy. Sometimes there's like family stuff going on that I, we'd stayed out of. Like I remember first one of these I ran into, it was, uh, um, you know, this grandmother, she had, uh, some grandkids, two of whom she did not like at all. So she didn't want them to know that she was going to end up with this big pile of cash. Cause then they just come begging for money. So she wanted to sell to very discreetly sell this property and get the cash and then give it the money to all the grandkids, except the two she didn't like, um, and then you have, um, you know, like divorce situations, you know, sometimes people are liquidating assets and need to do it quietly. Uh, we ran into one guy who was selling one of his uh, properties because he needed to fund his company. So he's CEO of a mm, fairly prolific company, right? So we, and again, we keep everything very quiet, but um, uh, so he was using his own money to prop them up instead of going to the bank and getting a short-term bridge loan for what the company needed. So he didn't want his shareholders or partners to know about that. Um, so I was like, okay, well, I don't have any opinion about the laws around this. All I know is that we can help you find, you know, someone to help you sell the property. Right. Okay. Before we kind of deep dive in, into more of the real estate questions, I did want to ask you about your time in London. Was that your first time abroad, uh, like an extended time abroad, or had you traveled before in that way? Yeah, I had... Um... I had traveled a little bit doing things abroad. I never lived abroad or worked abroad. Uh, so that was the first international experience. Um, so that, again, that takes a kind of a leap of faith. Uh, but um, yeah, so I hadn't traveled much, but actually being in London gave me access to all sorts of interesting travel opportunities because, you know, you jump on a train and two hours later you're in Paris, right? Or you get on a short flight. And, you know, so I, I became friends with a lot of other expats. So people who are, uh, you know, mostly from the U.S. And we knew we all had kind of a, sh you know, a short period of time. The visas were either two years or five years back then. 
So, you know, my friends either had two-year visas or five-year visas, but we all knew it was uh, temporary unless we wanted to stay in London forever and become citizens. Um, so we were, you know, and like every weekend we're going somewhere else because, you know, the hard part, the expensive part is getting across the pond. But once you get to London, you know, major international airports, you know, trains that go to mainland Europe. So, you know, getting a flight to Amsterdam was 45 minutes and like 60 bucks. So, you know, it was every weekend we're going somewhere new and there's just so much history around Europe where you can get on a plane for an hour or two and end up in a different world where you can just go explore all sorts of stuff for the weekend, you know, and then go back home. So, um, so that was really what kicked off a lot of the travel that I've done. And since then, you know, I think London was the, or the UK was maybe the third or fourth country I've been to when I moved there in 2014. Now I visited over 40 countries, you know, for meaningful periods of time. So, um, uh, big yeah. difference. Yeah. And you come from Illinois. Yeah. I grew up or... in central Illinois. Uh, I lived all over the U S with my previous job, the, you know, working for a traditional brokerage, opening up new offices and doing training stuff and that kind of thing. So I had a lot of, uh, U S experiences. In fact, I do recommend that people from the U S a lot of them, you know, will find them meet people in, in Eurasia and be like, Oh, where are you from? From the U S it's like, how many States have you visited? Three. (laughs) (laughs) It's like the U S is a big place with a lot of stuff to see. So uh, don't forget about that too. (laughs) It's often a lot easier than getting on a plane. So. Yeah. And I mean, for anybody, right. It's nice to travel around your home country a bit and get to know that. Sure. I mean, nothing wrong, of course, with exploring other countries as well. This is a travel podcast, but uh, it's it's a nice reminder. Yeah. Uh, So in that way, not just going to London, but being able to explore regionally, as you mentioned, and and sound like you were quite active and just seeing new places, doing different things. Did that, how did that change you as a person over that, you know, six, first six months or a year, if at all? Yeah, I would. Yeah. Well, I mean, there was a lot of professional development going on. You know, the biggest thing I was tasked with um, was just because I'd seen a lot of strange stuff was kind of how they got my name to go over there in the first place. You know, mm-hmm. it was like when I opened up the UK, like, okay, that's a weird market compared to the US. Like, who's seen a lot of strange stuff? Um, <laughs> and they're like, call John Sterling, call John Sterling. <laughs> so, uh, so I got a call and, um, you know, I went over to explore, you know, we spent a couple of weeks on my first trip just to see if I really wanted to do it, you know, meet with people and kind of figure out what, what it was. But uh, the, the, the task was to figure out what parts of the US business model would fit in the UK what parts would absolutely not fit in the UK and then things we could introduce over time. Um, so I really just spent the first six months, you know, I, I met with literally hundreds of people. So I spent a lot of time and money on coffee, which was fine, but um, you know, I just wanted to know the answers to those questions. I wanted to get a clear understanding for people who'd been there and done that. Uh, just like what, what is, cause you, know, you have some cultural things. The, the Brits in general are skeptical of anything new um, they do not like when the Americans come over and show them how to do things. So there's a little bit of, you know, ego. <laughs> They're just it's like, Oh, one of the Cowboys is here. He's going to show us how to sell property. Well, let's see what you got. So, you know, it was an uphill battle for a lot of this stuff, but, uh, it worked out. Okay. Um, I think there was more to that question I wanted to answer. Could you? Yeah. Yeah. And, and I mean, that was on the professional side and, yep. you know, personally, oh. how did, yep. How did being exposed to all these new places maybe impact you? Yeah, one of the things I enjoy the most about traveling and experiencing new cultures is that it just gives a different perspective. So that's been, uh, you know, it's like just the state of the world these days. You know, I figure that 
more perspective is going to be healthy regardless of where you are and who you are. Uh, just understanding, you know, it's like, cause I, I move, I go to a new place. I, I can, um, you know, you get exposed to new things that you wouldn't understand otherwise. Um, you know, new ways of living, how people interact with each other, how things get done there, whether that's, you know, how they cook meals or, um, you know, how people make friends or, you know, what they do with their leisure time. So all of those things are, are interesting. Um, and it just gives you kind of a bigger picture of what uh, humans all have in common instead of focusing on our differences, which is kind of the, the messaging we are surrounded by a lot of the time. It's like, oh, these people are different because of this. It's like, oh, well, this is different because of this. It's like, well, that's, you know, I've, I've kind of retrained myself to figure out what we have in common instead of how we're different, uh, which just makes for a more pleasant experience in life, I think. This episode is brought to you by U.S. Bank. Recently, I went out for tacos and it wasn't even Friday. Yes, we have Taco Friday in Norway, not Taco Tuesday. Well, more importantly, I could have earned rewards for every scrumptious bite of those chorizo soft shells. Introducing the US Bank Altitude Go Visa Signature Card. Earn four times points when you go out for dining or order takeout and restaurant delivery, including tacos. Plus, you can earn two times points when you shop for or order your groceries, two times points when you need to fill up or charge up at gas stations and EV charging stations. You're even rewarded with two times points just for your favorite streaming services. Go to usbank.com slash altitude. Go! To learn more about how you can earn 20,000 bonus points worth $200 if you spend $1,000 in the first 90 days of opening your account. Win big with the U.S. Bank Altitude Go Visa Signature Card. Visit usbank.com slash Altitude Go to apply. Limited time offer. The creditor and issuer of this card is U.S. Bank National Association pursuant to a license from Visa USA, Inc. Some restrictions may apply. This episode of Zero to Travel is presented by the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder. From muddy jungle paths and snowy trails to rolling sand dunes, the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder has the capability to take you to some of the most epic destinations on Earth. We're excited to partner with Nissan because our listeners know we love to celebrate the joy of exploring the world and finding the best off-the-beaten-path destinations to visit. And there's no better vehicle for that than the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder with seven drive modes. The Pathfinder's available intelligent 4x4 is built for even the most epic journeys, and it even has the best towing capacity in its class, up to 6,000 pounds, so you can bring the fun with you. But Nissan also knows that it's not just about where you go. In a Pathfinder, the real fun comes from getting there, and that's something we love celebrating here on the Zero to Travel podcast. We believe that life is about finding that joy within the journey itself, and that's why we're thrilled to partner with Nissan to celebrate adventurers everywhere. So thanks again to Nissan for sponsoring this episode of Zero to Travel and for the reminder to chase bigger, better, more exciting adventures and enjoy the ride along the way. Learn more at NissanUSA.com. I do want to get into these real estate questions. There's so much to unpack. Maybe the first place to start is who shouldn't consider buying a home in another country? Who shouldn't consider it? Um, yes. There are some serious concerns. So probably the biggest hurdles that you get uh, with people searching abroad, you know, it's like, it's, you know, remote work is becoming more popular, definitely became more popular in 2020. So employers are becoming more comfortable with it. So, you know, if you asked me a year and a half ago, I would have said um, people with employers who want to see you regularly, like in the office. Um, that's a concern, whether it's legitimate 
a, you know, reason or not, it's like, well, if they're paying your paycheck, then you kind of have to play by their rules. Um, so that is, it's still a concern for some, you know, some employers really want people in the office and I get it. I understand that there are, uh, you know, building a sort of teamwork and culture is much easier when you're all in the same physical space than it is over zoom. You know, you could spend all day on the same zoom call with all of your coworkers spread around the world, but you're not going to have the same dynamics, um, you know, same opportunities to have sort of, uh, you know, one-on-one conversations or just kind of break off and go grab lunch or a snack with someone, you know, those things kind of go away. And, you know, independently, like each one individually might not seem like a big deal, but when you add it all up, that's, uh, you know, that's a concern. So there's the work concern. Um, People that uh, have family that's, again, you know, if they're going to want to see you or need to see you, you know, it's like maybe you have aging parents, you know, but even just spending time with people, I mean, that was the hardest part about most of 2020 is I was, uh, uh, you know, far away from my family and didn't have a good option to go see them. So, you know, even a couple times a year was our regular sort of visit schedule. But, uh, you know, that wasn't an option and I felt kind of uncomfortable. So um, that's something to consider. Uh, and then from a straight real estate perspective, the, uh, you know, there's, a, there's an extreme housing shortage in like most major U.S. cities right now. Uh, but uh, in other countries, so it's like if you, if you have a house to sell in the U.S., it's pretty easy to do at this at this stage. Um, it won't always be this easy, but it's just you know the, the building has not kept up, up with demand for a very long time. So interest rates are still low, there aren't enough houses, so everybody wants a house, and you just can't find enough to buy. So um, anyway, uh, in other countries, that's not the case. So many of them have a glut of housing. So if you buy something, you would need to be comfortable with the fact that you might not be able to sell it for a long time. You know, sometimes houses sit on the market for a year or two years. Um, Not that there's anything wrong with the house or the price or anything like that. It's just that there aren't enough buyers, you know, especially if you're taking your, you know, money from a Western country, the U.S. or the U.K. or Canada and going to somewhere less expensive uh, than, you you know, it's like the locals are then not really the people who you're going to sell to. So you're, you're extremely limited in who would actually buy that from you someday. So if you're not comfortable with the idea of living there indefinitely or keeping it indefinitely, then I would say don't do it. You're better off renting. One of the tricky parts I find, because it's so overwhelming if you're somebody that's listening and you say you want to invest in international real estate, say, you know, you want, you have an emotional tie to a place or, or, or maybe it's just an opportunity and you're thinking, okay, well, it would be really cool to own a home in X, Y, or Z place. All right. Maybe you've narrowed it. First of all, narrowing it down is just the first sentence. Like international real estate, it's different than being like, okay, hey, I, I just got a job in this city and now I'm going to go find a place to live. And even that's overwhelming, right? Because you're sure. All right, which neighborhoods are have good schools and all these different questions. But then you go international. It's like, oh man, how are you supposed to tackle this? And then once you narrow it down, how do you get to know a market? It seems very difficult to really understand when it's a totally different culture and, and you're not quite familiar. It, it can be a little sort of confusing and intimidating. So I just wanted to hear your best advice around all of that. Sure. It's, uh, you know, I guess the best thing to do would be, you know, try before you buy, right? Don't jump into a place that you haven't spent significant time. Uh, you know, just don't, just don't do that. You know, it's like you can uh, learn a lot more about a market being on the ground and talking to people and walking the neighborhoods than you ever can from a website like ours. Uh, you know, it's like you can get a good sort of base and what, you know, get an idea of what to expect 
but until you're there, like interacting with people and seeing how things work, it's kind of hard to understand. You know, there there are things that you just might not get. You know, it's like traffic or you know air pollution or you know it's like maybe the power goes out every once in a while. So you might be able to read about that, but until you experience it, you don't really know what it's all about. Um, so you know, we encourage people, and then you know, like you like you said with the neighborhoods, that's always a good idea too because the the most popular places with the tourist stuff where you might end up on your first visit may not be where you would choose to live if you decided to buy a place there. Um, in fact, they, you know, frequently are not the same things, you know, it's like you want to go see the tourist stuff and you want to see the, the history and the things the country is showing off, but that might not be where you want to, you know, might not want to be surrounded by all the future tourists in that neighborhood. So, um, you know, just trying different neighborhoods. That's kind of when I ended up in Georgia, that's what I did. I just got Airbnbs for, a week or so at a time. And then I would try different neighborhoods just to see how I like living because visiting a place is very different than living in a place. So, Yes. And just to clarify, you're talking about the country of Georgia. Yes. Yes. Sorry. <laughs> yes. In Eurasia. Do, do you own a home there? No, I moved there. Part of, part of the reason I ended up there was because I wanted to check out stuff for myself. So I wanted to see, um, you know, what sort of investment opportunities were available and they were, they looked great until the pandemic showed up. <laughs> so that changed a little, but it's, it's still on my agenda. It's still very affordable. I like the fundamentals of Georgia. It's a wonderful place to live. Um, you know, they have, it's Tbilisi is a big city, you know, 1.1 million people. It's a big modern city. You know, it's like, you've got all the modern things you'd want, you know, between shops and internet connection and, you know, just the housing stock. But Georgia is a big, beautiful place. They have a nice wine country. They have mountains where you can ski and hike. Uh, you know, there's there's something for everybody there. So, and it's, it's becoming a more popular tourist spot, but it's still kind of off the beaten path. So, what is your methodology for somebody to kind of figure out? You know, because there are the the legalities as well. I do not know a lot about this, but you know, if you're even allowed to buy a property in a country that's not yours. That obviously varies depending on where you're coming from and, and all that type of stuff. But and maybe this is just overarching advice and how somebody should go about researching that and understanding if they can even buy a property somewhere. Yeah, that's an important question. Important thing to know. Uh, you know, one. So I'll give you a quick example for Georgia. Uh, the uh, foreigners have every right to own property as the citizens do, with one big exception: is like you are not allowed to own agricultural property unless you are a Georgian citizen. So you can't go buy a vineyard, for example. Um, they just, they protect the agricultural land. And there are other countries that do that too. I mean, Nicaragua, you know, they had a similar setup. Uh, they just want to protect the food supply for their people. So it makes sense. Um, you know, but that's something that I did not know until I started poking around um, what I should buy and what the opportunities were. Um, so, so that's one thing. The, um, the, you know, Airbnb rules, that's another thing to consider. If you're buying as an investment, a lot of countries do not like Airbnb. Um, you know, the hotel, the hotel mafia is what I call them. You know, they get in with the politicians and make sure that Airbnb has a very hard time doing business, um, in a lot of places, especially the popular tourist places where they kind of have a monopoly. Like, you know, first example that comes to mind is Barcelona. Um, you know, they have housing issues for a variety of reasons. I won't get into too much of that. Um, but they, for a period of time, they had banned Airbnb altogether. So they just weren't allowing it. Now I think they've loosened it up a little bit, but they're just not friendly to it because, um, you know, hotels provide so many local jobs and so much local tax revenue 
that uh, they just weren't equipped to manage uh, a new supply of how you know hotel like housing uh, and the taxes and everything else. And the hotels, of course, get all upset because now they have competition. They like their monopoly. Same. Uh, so that you know that'll make a difference in your ability to get a good return as an investor. You know, it's like if you're dealing with long-term tenants, it might be easier to manage because you don't have to manage check-ins and check-outs and cleanings and all that. Um, but the, the financial return is often less for long-term tenants than it is if you can get higher rates doing Airbnb rentals. Of course, a lot of this will depend on your your views, your personal views, right? And it's, but it's fairly well known, I would say, that Airbnb has a pretty big impact on the local population, and sometimes in, in not the most positive way, which is why they get banned or. or restricted in certain in certain areas because it's driving the rent prices up for people that live there and, and all this type of stuff. And I know your business is built on the foundation of real estate, but I'm just curious about your thoughts on, on that as a, a situation or maybe an ever-evolving sort of thing to Yeah, the, to, the short, to short-term rentals in general? Y- yeah. Yeah. Um, there are, I think there's a, there's somewhere in the middle that would be healthy for everyone, right? So I don't believe that turning every available housing unit into a short-term rental is healthy. Um, you know, cause these are neighborhoods where people live. So I don't, you know, a lot of them don't want a bunch of tourists, you know, dragging their bags up down the street every day, um, which, you know, they want to know their neighbors. So I, I understand the, the arguments about having some sense of community and limiting that. Um, but at the same time, I don't think it should be overly restricted either. So places like San Francisco where it's basically impossible or Denver where it's basically impossible. Um, you know, they just, they're just so restricted. So instead of actually solving their short-term housing problem through legislation, they just found that Airbnb is now the demon that they're, you know, that's, that's their, their rally cry. You know, it's like, Oh, well, it's like, we wouldn't have all these problems if it weren't for Airbnb. It's like, no, it's like, you guys did a pretty miserable job of managing your housing stock for many, many years. So they've just found that it's an easy target for them politically. Um, you know, it's, it's again, they get into, even local politics are just insufferable at this stage. So people just finding stuff to complain about, not really getting any progress anywhere. But um, you know, demonize Airbnb. They're they're the worst. They do all bad things. It's like really. It's like, well, how about the people who get to experience your city without signing a twelve month lease, and then they decide they want to live there and be part of your community? Like, was that so bad that they got to live in the neighborhood and check it out before they moved? Like, is that is that such an awful thing? Um. You know, it's like, or, or people that want to experience something outside the hotel district. Like, is that such a bad thing that, that a tourist doesn't want to stay around all of the, the cheesy tourist attractions? It's like, I don't think that's bad. I think it's, uh, you know, it's healthy to have that too. So somewhere in the middle seems to be the right way to do it. I think, uh, well, of all the U.S. cities I've seen re- recently, you know, I think New York has banned Airbnb like altogether, even though it's still their biggest market. So I know that's a bit tenuous. Um but uh, New Orleans did a great job. They were right out front with this because, I mean, in New Orleans, a lot of their economy is driven by tourism and conventions. Um, just a popular spot. But they kind of had a, um, what do I want to say? Just sort of a, they found a middle ground right away with short-term housing, um, keeping the hotels happy and keeping the Airbnb stuff happy. So they kind of separated the city into zones. So if you're in the hotel districts with specific zones, then you can't do Airbnbs because that's where all the hotels are. So the hotels are protected. So they feel okay about that. If you're, you know, the next ring outside of that was where you could do stuff. So you could still walk to the hotel district, but you're not necessarily in it. Um, so that's where a lot of the short-term rentals are located. 
Um, and then outside of there, I don't think there are any restrictions just because they're not, uh, you know, not overly popular with tourists. So you'd be far from the action. So you can do whatever you want in those, those areas. So they were, they were proactive about it. They didn't wait for, um, complaints from things to start show up. They, uh, you know, they did this to, just to get ahead of it and it's worked well for them for, you know, it's like, I guess five years they've had this in place now. So, you know, that seems to be the best model I've seen is just be proactive. Don't make short-term rentals the, the enemy, uh, you know, understand that these people are bringing, you know, tax revenue and, uh, you know, interesting experiences into the communities. Uh, so that's, uh, that's my quick take. Thank you for sharing that. What are some of the common mistakes that people made and, and how should they avoid them? Um, there are so just buying, like investing yeah, or buying, buying for themselves. In, buying in a country that's not yours. Yep. Uh, trying to do too much of it on their own. So whether you hire, you know, again, I'm a bit like, I'm always a little gun shy when someone says I have to hire an agent even though like a lot of them are customers and I know some great ones all over the place. There are many more who are not great. So I just have surrendered to that as the reality. So, you know, I, it takes a while for agents to earn my trust. Uh, but once they have it, then, you know, I'll send them people and help them promote their businesses all day long. Um, but trying to do too much on your own. So even if you're not using an agent, you need to find a local lawyer that you can trust. You know, sometimes it's common to have lawyers or solicitors is what they're frequently called um, in, uh, foreign countries. But again, a lot of them prey on, uh, people who are not local. So it's like, you really want to find somebody local, speaks the local language, understands the local customs, understands how you could possibly get screwed over by these people. Um, you know, so there, cause a lot of stuff you could do by yourself, but then some things you absolutely should not do by yourself. Um, so that's a one. So that's a big one. Just not getting professional help with the transaction. Even if you think you're smart enough to do it by yourself, it's just, it's not worth, you know, it's like, and a lot of times it's like, you're not really, it's like the sellers are generally the ones paying all the commission anyway. So you're not losing anything by asking for help. Um, and, you know, there's this idea that you can, well, it's like, well, I can negotiate some of the commission off the price if I deal directly with the seller. Like, well, you can try, but it's like, wouldn't you rather, just, I mean, it's not, it's not costing you money out of your pocket anyway. Uh, wouldn't you rather have someone representing you and looking out for your interests for free? Like it doesn't, it doesn't quite compute, you know, for a few percentage points on a, on a property in a foreign country, we don't know anything or anyone, you know, it's, it's a silly time to be cheap like that. Um, you can be cheap with other things, but I wouldn't recommend that one. Um, and then the other one would be just understanding the sort of physical housing stock. So, you know, for example, one of the, um, one of the most popular places on our sites, uh, is Portugal. Portugal has very, uh, you know, favorable immigration laws. People love it there because cost of living is low. Quality of living is very high. It's one of the safest places in Europe. Uh, you know, they make it easy for people to move there, like relocate permanently. Um, but some of the housing, you know, it's it's old and they have no insulation. So people who are experiencing their first winter in Port Portugal, if you're in, you know, some of the northern uh, or central places that, that get a lot of rain and cold, you know, they're, they're like, where's the heat? <laughs> they just don't have good heating and don't have good insulation. So they didn't plan for having space heaters or wearing blankets, you know, having blankets all around the house and that kind of stuff. Um, but that's just a, you know, an example of things that could go awry if you're not uh, happy about it, which goes back to the whole try it before you buy it. You know, it's like I would move to a place and, you know, live there for all, for all four seasons just to figure out how hot does it get in the summer? How cold does it get in the winter? You know, are there, are there things that I didn't think about here? 
just so you know what you're getting into before you plunk down a big chunk of money. Yeah, and you could see how I start looking at international real estate and it's it's easy to kind of get emotional, right? Yep. <laughs> About things. It's exciting. It's, yeah, it is exciting. And I mean, this is the perennial battle with, with any real estate, right? I mean, what's, I, I don't know, I read somewhere, it, it was like, the example was that real estate was the only, one of the only things for sale, or maybe the only thing for sale where the price is dictated by situations, right? Like you, you walk into a store and a pair of sunglasses costs a hundred dollars. It, it costs a hundred dollars. You know, maybe you can find a coupon or something, but with real estate, you have, like you mentioned, divorces and you know people wanting to not be listed for certain reasons. There's all these other factors. And, and, and I guess the point of what I read was that can make it a good investment if you, if you find the right situation, right? Again, it just seems out of your cultural element and out of your, the laws that you know. I mean, it's confusing, I think, in your home country to buy real estate if you haven't really done it before, even if you've done it before, let alone somewhere else. So... People don't do it often enough to get used to all the weird things that happen in a transaction. So, you know, like you said, so even if you've purchased a bunch of properties, it's like you generally don't do it every year. So there's a lot of time in between to forget what it was like or, you know, what sort of things that might might come up. So, again, you know, hire professionals. I did have one one thought with this specific at Georgia again. So one thing that I would not have seen from the outside, and I even shared the other day on a big blog post that uh, even the locals there who you know, who know the, know the game and have been paying attention to real estate for a long time. They're like, I never thought of that. So one of the ways, and a lot of countries do this, one of the ways you can get a uh, proper long-term residency in Georgia, again, Georgia, the country, um, is to buy a property that's worth at least 100,000 US dollars. Now they don't operate on the dollars. So it's like equivalent in the Georgian Larry, but um, so it has to be worth at least a hundred thousand dollars. So the mistake that a lot of people make is they buy something with a sticker price of $100,000, but it's only worth, say, like 85000 So when they go, so they think they're in the clear because they spent that much, they must, it must be okay. It's like, no, you just overpaid by 15%. Um, and generally, these people aren't using agents because they're smarter than the right. Well, who's so doing like, the valuation? Is it the government? Uh, the government how... Yeah, the government okay. looks at that on the application for your residency. They're like, oh, well, tell us about this property. And then they go get an appraisal, and uh, the appraisal doesn't, doesn't match up. So, you know, so the mistake, again, it's like, it's not surprising, but it's just sad to see when people do that because um, you're not getting a mortgage, you know, unless you live there and have a job there. So you're paying cash. So people, this money is just locked up for who knows how long. But the opportunity there is for people who don't need the long-term residency. Like, let's say they just want to, you know, be in Georgia three to six months a year, whatever. Um, and they just want to visit, have something part of the time or just have something as an investment and visit occasionally. Um, there are uh, quite a few eighty to ninety thousand dollar apartments available from people who <laughs> made this mistake. You oh, know, right. and they don't have anyone yeah. to sell to because right. everyone's yeah. looking for something worth a hundred thousand or more. But mm. a lot of people, you know, even if you buy, even if you did buy something, like say it was worth one hundred five thousand when you bought it. Well, you know, when the borders shut down and people couldn't do get Airbnb income anymore, well, now you have a bunch of apartments on the market competing with yours. So even though it was worth one hundred five thousand. Maybe now that you're filling out your application, it's only worth 93000 So, uh, you know, that was not something that was obvious when I showed up, but it is obvious now. It's like, oh, a lot of people are making that mistake and they want to get out and they can't because nobody wants the, you know, eighty to $90,000 apartments, even though they're just fine because it doesn't solve their residency problem. So, Would you love to have an incredible cup of coffee 
every day. I've tried it all. I've done the pour over. I've done the French press. But I tasted an AeroPress coffee many years ago. And immediately, I was sold. I had to get one. AeroPress is a patented three-in-one brew technology. This combines the flavor benefits of espresso, pour over, and French press all into one compact portable device built for travel or home. I love things you can use in both places. This device has over 55,000 five-star reviews in over 60 countries. AeroPress is the best-reviewed coffee press on the planet. I've owned one for so many years, I don't even remember how long it's been. And they are under 50 bucks. So they also make an exceptional gift. Thoughtful, proven, tasty, and travel-oriented. Who wouldn't love that? Now, you get 20% off just for being a listener of this show at aeropress.com slash zero to travel. That's aeropress, A-E-R-O-P-R-E-S-S dot com slash zero to travel. That will save you 20% on checkout. Thanks to Aeropress for supporting today's show. Hey, it's Jason here. Did you know you are invited to join the first ever Zero to Travel community trip? Yes, we're planning a trip together. We're headed to Morocco November 30th through December 9th. And you can get all the details at zerototravel.com slash trip. It's open for booking now. We have 13 spots left at the time of this recording. And you have until the end of March to book. So if you're interested in traveling with an amazing community, this community, a small group of people on an incredible journey through Morocco together with me. Sign up over there at zerototravel.com slash trip to get all the details. Thanks for listening and hope to see you there. Yeah, that's a good ex specific example of a, a nuance that you could maybe discover as, a, as an investor. I, I was just talking to somebody, I was doing another interview right before we were chatting and they were saying that a lot of the properties, there's a lot of house sitting opportunities in Portugal right now in Spain because many of the properties are owned by British uh, residents. And because of Brexit, you know, now they just like, they can't get down there as much or they're restricted with the amount of time they can spend there. And the first thing I was thinking, because I knew our conversation was coming up was, oh, wow, this is, you know, that might mean that there are more opportunities to pick up places that you know, all of a sudden, maybe the market's going to be flooded with some places that some of these British citizens can't really visit anymore. Maybe they don't want anymore. I mean, they can, but it's just more restricted and that's not the lifestyle they want. So, I mean, I don't know if that's a thing, but it just got me thinking about uh, another example of like, uh, along the lines of what you just mentioned, where these these small sort of reasons why there might be specific opportunities in a market. And it's not easy to discover them, but it's just a way of thinking, I suppose. Yeah. I mean, another one, it's, it's a little morbid, but um, there's still some opportunities. I mean, Italy has been cheap for a while. Um, so, but it's like with the large number of deaths that they experienced over COVID and the fact that U.S. citizens, you know, and U.K. citizens are now restricted, U.S. citizens still aren't allowed in the EU to visit. Um, there are a lot of properties in Italy that don't have owners anymore. So that's, you know, a buying opportunity if you have the patience to go deal with Italian bureaucracy and all the rest. Tax considerations are also something that I think it was just important uh, yes. to mention. <laughs> and, and maybe that also ties in with the whole getting a loan or getting funding question too. A little bit, yep. maybe. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> financial, yeah, well, the financial side. Sure. Yep. I can speak to that. So one of the things that people are uh, surprised about when they start looking around is that um, 
It's like if you if you don't live in a country and pay taxes there and have a record of paying taxes there and like you know paycheck stubs that you can show are locally sourced, it will be very difficult to get a mortgage. So that's something that people are not used to. They're like, what do you mean? People just pay cash? I'm like, yes, people pay cash. So especially in the US, I mean, we're totally spoiled with a lot of things, but mortgages are one of them. Um, where it's a, you know, it's a 30 year term. Some people are listening like, wait a minute, my mortgage is spoiling me. That doesn't really yeah. compute. <laughs> yeah. It's like, it's, you get 30 year terms for the mortgage, which a lot of times that's not the, the norm. You know, it's like you can get a 10 year mortgage or a 20 year mortgage, but 30 is very rare, um, outside the U S um, interest rates are really low in the U S which, you know, you get outside the U S they're much higher. Um, so there's that. And like, you know, the down payment, like you're not going to be able to put two and a half percent down and get your closing costs covered if you're in some other country. Um, so you should prepare to pay cash. Um, you know, the good news is your, your, you know, U.S. dollars travel well. So, you know, if you have some money, then you can uh, find some good opportunities to to buy. But uh, so that's one. And yeah, taxes are another consideration because, you you know, there's some form of property tax exists everywhere. Um, if you are renting a place for income, um, as a, I'm speaking as a U.S. citizen. I know that that's not all the people that listen to this, but there'll probably be some, uh, you know, some comparisons. So, U.S. citizens, we have, uh, we're very fortunate. We're one of the only countries in the world where our government chases us around, and we owe taxes on income we make wherever we happen to be living. So we have to pay U.S. taxes, or at least file in the U.S., even if you have deductions. Um, we have to do that every year, regardless of where the money came from. So, um, so anyway, so sometimes you're subject to double taxation. You may be taxed in the country where you made the money, like renting out the Airbnb, and you are taxed on that income again in the United States. Now, now many countries have, I'm not a tax advisor, so this is not tax advice. I'm just kind of giving you the overview. Um, many countries have tax treaties with each other. So, uh, that's one way when you can, one way you can, uh, sort of mitigate some of that, but that's not always the case. And you need to be keeping good records and stay on top of it. Again, probably not something you should do by yourself. You should get uh, help from some professional that is familiar, not just with the local taxes where you're earning the money, but also the U.S. system and why that's a hassle for U.S. citizens. So, Okay, great. Thanks for all of that. So I, I would say as a general, you have to kind of assume you're going to be paying cash. I guess. Yep. Yep. Okay. So let's say, and I know this is a hard question to answer because everybody is operating under different piles of cash. I would say, I guess, I don't know, but I'm just picking a number. Let's say you have a hypothetical, I don't know, 75 to $200,000. I'm just going to pick a random range and you're from the U S is it better to invest in the U S in your opinion, or is it better to take your party somewhere else? <laughs> Uh, yeah. So that's a lot of that. Yeah. A lot of that'll be personal preference. So, um, you know, one of the things I liked about Georgia, it's a developing market. So you, you see, again, that's higher risk, right? So it's like, I was seeing, um, healthy appreciation every year and still a low entry price for housing. So you could buy a $50,000 apartment, spend another 20,000 fixing it up. And then Airbnb income, you you know, you get your money back in five years, right? Just, you know, that was sort of the routine. Um, and of course, if you can buy something cheaper, that's great. Or if you can spend less fixing it, that's great. Or if Airbnb rates went up, that's great. But, you know, it was still, I saw it, it, it just being more appealing there than any market I could see in the U.S. 
And in the U.S., you know, a lot of people talk about bubbles, which I'm not entirely sure this is a bubble. This is just prices going up. So um, and especially if you haven't lived through a cycle like this before, which a lot of people who are, you know, in the first time buyer, the typical age range, you know, they're looking at this and thinking, oh, my gosh, if I don't buy something now, I'm never going to be able to afford it. It's like, well, maybe. (laughs) But, you know, the prices may trend up over time, but they do not go to the sky on a chart like they're doing now forever. They just don't, you know, it's like things show up and the market shifts. So even just with federal monetary policy, you know, it's like interest rates are low right now, but even just an uptick of 1% in mortgage interest rates would knock a lot of buyers out of the market or at least reduce their, their borrowing power um, and kind of cool things off, which they don't seem inclined to do right now. So we still have some runway with the current situation, but you just never know. I mean, it could be another pandemic there could be an unexpected war that shows up there's all all kinds of crazy stuff that is out of your control you can't predict um but um so it's like i was looking at uh you know different market like portugal i want to end up there in some capacity someday that seems like part of my retirement plan um but i'm just paying attention to what's going on in the market there like you are it's like sure i can buy a chunk of land for you know twenty five thousand dollars in in portugal and then slowly build something over time you know, that's sort of the, my plan. So you don't need a huge pile of cash. Um, in the U S it's difficult if you're just buying for investment purposes. Um, it, and again, like the U S they want to see local paycheck stubs, regular income, you know, tax returns for the past few years that show that you're probably going to make this much next year. Uh, so if you're buying, uh, just a straight up investment property and you don't have a primary residence, it's going to be harder in the U S because you're gonna, they're gonna, the bank is going to charge you a higher interest rate. Um, you're not getting a 3% down payment loan. You're going to put 20 to 25% down as a minimum. So, uh, you know, there are a lot of considerations, but, uh, yeah, I'd say kind of the, the summary would be depends on your personal situation, your risk appetite, and, uh, sort of what your timeline is, you know, is this something you yeah. want to do right away? Yeah, so thanks. you want to get in the game now or something else? So, right. I, I know this is difficult because this is, it's such a big topic and doing a yeah, great job okay. of, of yeah. breaking it down and giving us some general <laughs> advice here because there is no one right answer with a lot of these things, but it's what I wanted to hear and what I'm getting is your perspectives and the overall idea of investing abroad or outside of your home country. A couple more questions. How, how about managing the property when you're not there? Because that's a, a big concern for people. And I, I'm just wondering what you've seen work best for people. And maybe that's particular questions to ask when you're trying to find somebody or particular places to look to find what property management companies or is, yep, or is it better yep. to find individuals? You know, how, yeah. Yeah. The Well, a lot of agents in other countries will, uh, they'll double as property managers of sorts. So, you know, they'll help you find a new tenant. You don't necessarily have to be around for that. Uh, or if something breaks, like they'll coordinate getting a handyman over there so you don't have to do it. Um, and it's just because they know that when anytime you need to rent the place again, you're going to call them and they'll get paid from that. So they don't actually necessarily charge more. Um, you know, you might pay them a little bit, but it's usually not a big, big deal. Um, you know, technology is nice. So a lot of these keypads and things you can manage remotely. That's not always an option, but those are good. Um, so those are. Yeah, those are the, the big management things. But if you're doing short-term rentals, you really need a, a, a trusted cleaning crew who can turn over stuff fast. Because as you know, it's like if you've been in one of those, you know, you got to be out by 11, can't check in until 3. So you have kind of have a four-hour window to get everything cleaned up. 
Um, but you and everybody else that's on Airbnb in the neighborhood, they also have the same window. So that it might be tough to find cleaners who can, who can keep up with that and do that. Trust is the word that keeps coming up quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> yeah. And there, there, there are some, I mean, just as a, to, to sort of complete that previous question, I mean, like places in Portugal, it's pretty common for the leases to uh, stipulate that the tenants are responsible for anything that breaks or needs maintenance. So the refrigerator goes out, it's the tenant's responsibility to pay for that and get somebody in to do it. Um, and sometimes you're, you're renting a place that doesn't have appliances. So it's like the tenant brings their own stove, they bring their own refrigerator. If the refrigerator breaks, it's not the landlord's problem. You know, if the, if the toilet clogs, that's not the landlord's problem. It's like tenant has to deal with it. So that alleviates some of the work, but it's still not perfect. So you just have to be prepared for occasional headaches. Uh, you know, you might get lucky and never have a problem, but I would, uh, you'd, probably, you'd be better off preparing for the worst and, uh, yeah, expect the best, prepare for the worst. So, well, let's talk about trends. I think that'd be a good place to end. I know that they're ever changing, but do you have any, any advice or on trends that you see happening or if people that are interested in exploring home ownership outside of their home country? maybe some places they should look, that sort of thing. Yep. Um, So just as an overall thing that we're seeing is that there's a lot of interest in people because, again, it goes back to employers becoming more comfortable with remote workers. Um, So instead of it being sort of a a unique situation where it's like, oh, my employer says I'm totally remote. This is great. Um, That used to be kind of rare, and now it's becoming much more common. So, um, So because of that, people are getting creative. They're like, oh, I don't have to live in the U.S. I can go live in Portugal or Spain or France or whatever I want. Um, So that's been an interesting thing to see. And I think that after all the COVID restrictions are lifted and everybody's vaccinated or whatever, um, that's that's really going to show up in a big way. I think people are sort of reassessing. um, You know, it's like they're thinking bigger. It's like instead of just thinking, oh, if I, you know, work for a company in San Francisco, I can commute you know, to Marin County, just over the Golden Gate Bridge, um, you know, that's fine because I'm not actually in the city. So that's my that's my commute. Well, now, you know, you could commute across different states. So, you know, if you're in San Francisco company, then he's like, hey, maybe I want to live up in wine country. You know, that, that would be a difficult to do as a daily commute, but you could do it once a week. It wouldn't be so bad. Um, so sort of, you know, suburbs becoming more popular, I think, is an interesting thing to watch just at the local level. Um, and that's not just the U S that's everywhere. You know, it's like people don't necessarily want to live on top of each other in the center cities. Um, you know, Denver, again, we'll bring up that example. Like everybody wants a house in Denver. Nobody wants a condo. So it's like every, every house in Denver that goes for sale, gets 20 to 30 offers. It's insane. Um, so that's what's happening all day, every day right now. But if you want a condo in downtown Denver, nice brand new building, it's like you take your pick. It's like nobody wants those. So people just figured out they need more space in case something like this happens again. So they want a yard. They want a place to spread out. I mean, so in that case is, you know, is the buying a condo an opportunity or is, you know, because maybe that'll circle back or. If you're, if you're confident that, you know, you'll be comfortable there, you know, locked in there and, you know, you, you, um, again, there's the liquidity thing. You know, I, I teach people to think about the resale opportunities before they buy it for themselves. It's like, how hard is this thing going to be to sell someday if I needed to? You know, it's like a very unique place might be good for you and might be fine. You're like, oh, this is a cool, very, you know, unique situation. Uh, But it might not be appealing to most buyers. So just think about that. Consider that. Um, So that's one trend I'm seeing just sort of at the macro level. And then as far as places to go, uh, the 
you know, I like the Eastern European markets, you know, the ones that are, I call them developing markets. And that's kind of what most people would agree. You know, it's like things are, it's first world living at third world prices is a good way to think of it. Uh, that's how I describe Georgia in a loving way. So, you know, it's like, you just have to deal with some occasional headaches. You know, it's like, for example, the place I live is a you know, popular neighborhood. I could walk to whatever I want, grocery store, gym, restaurants, bars, whatever. Everything's easy and convenient. You know, no need for a car, you know, occasional like Uber type things are, are fine. But um, there was some huge road construction projects going on because they wanted to fancy up the main artery roads and make it more of a pedestrian friendly place. Um, so with all that construction going on, it was construction noise was going on at night. You know, sometimes they'd have to shut off the water for eight hours. You know, they'd warn you ahead of time, but it's just stuff that you just have to deal with. So if you're in a place that's developing, you, you will inevitably encounter some things like that. So you just have to have the stomach for it and just be willing to deal with some inconveniences if you take the long view on that market. But, uh, you know, Georgia, I like Ukraine. I like uh, this, the countries that are kind of working their way toward getting into the EU. So places like Croatia, uh, you know, maybe in Montenegro sometime soon. They're, you know, usually a few years away. Bulgaria, you know, there are all kinds of really cool uh, cities that you wouldn't necessarily expect and aren't really on the tourists, you know, hotspots. But if you, once you explore a little bit, it just becomes very comfortable to go, you know, see some more. But there are, um, you know, all kinds of opportunities. Albania has some wonderful, you know, Mediterranean beachfront property and it's not really developed. So it's one of the last places on the Mediterranean where that you'd, you know, consider living, but still has, you know, inexpensive property available. I like Egypt. Egypt, I mean, Cairo is one of the biggest cities in the world and is not slowing down. It's a very modern city. So Egypt is not just the pyramids. Um, so you can buy either commercial or residential property in Egypt um, on the cheap, you know. But again, you have to believe in the long-term prospects of these places because there's some where, the, you know, either the political situation or whatever might be unappealing. You know, it's like the first failed Western democracy was in Hungary. I love Budapest. It's one of my favorite cities. But they, you know, essentially just took, uh, you know, they went back a few decades and how democracy evolves <laughs> this this past year. Um, and there are a few others that are, you know, on the cusp of doing the same. So even though I'd love Budapest and would, you know, enjoy visiting there, I'm not sure that living there would be as comfortable as it was a year ago. So, you know, you kind of want to take in all the information you can get before making a purchase decision. Yeah. And that was another key one we didn't touch on is the political landscape, right? And how that might impact the future. And I think uh, what I'd like to pull out of there is, is, and maybe we could finish with this, is just this idea of really understanding what your, what your view is in terms of how long you're going to be holding a property, right? Because it changes the way you're searching for things. If you think, you, you know, you want to have this for like three to five years and then unload it or whatever versus a place that you're going to own for 10 or 50, like what's your timeline? And, and is that matching up with the opportunity? And none of this is easy to figure out, right? Yeah, if, uh, yeah. if it was, everybody would be freewheeling international real estate investors. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right? Well, it's, I mean, it's part of the, you know, the complexity is what uh, keeps our business alive because it isn't easy. And it doesn't take much digging to understand once you get beneath the surface. It's like, wow, I didn't consider all these things. Uh, so, you know, we've become sort of advisors and middlemen 
you know, just because of the portal. Cause we get this kind of, these questions all the time, you know, it's just kind of people are, you know, they, they start to understand and they don't really get the full picture, but that's okay. Um, yeah. So the, yeah, it's just, uh, you know, the complexity is something to consider, but, uh, yeah, as far as timeline goes, I take the same view with, uh, any, any stocks that I buy. It's like, I'm not going to buy anything unless I would be comfortable holding, comfortable holding it forever. All right. I say forever, just like long, long timeline. So um, that's just how I approach it. I think I borrowed that from Warren Buffett, maybe. I don't know. He knows <laughs> a few a things about investing. Borrow, yeah, borrow it's like from, he knows a few know. things. So. Uh, <laughs> that doesn't mean he always does keep things forever, but he buys it with the intention, you know, and the comfort level. He's like, okay, if I needed to hold this forever, that's fine. Uh, so, yeah. but yeah, trying to flip property or do like quick turnover type of stuff. Uh, and out markets outside the U.S. is is difficult, so I would not mm. recommend you know watching one of those silly shows which aren't real. I know they call it reality <laughs> TV, but those are not real situations. For those of you who haven't figured it out, it's like professional wrestling. They're not really fighting. This is all a charade. <laughs> so anyway, so if you watch those shows and think you can just turn up in Portugal and start flipping property and make a living, well, good luck. I don't think it's going to work yeah. the way you expect. But uh, right, if you want to prove me wrong, go for it. <laughs> well, I appreciate all of this. And, and the the word that you just said, I think, was something about considerations. And, and that was one of the big intentions behind having you on the show is just, hey, let's just look at some of the things that everybody should consider and get some solid general advice across the board on international real estate. And I think you, you've delivered today, John. Well, so I really you. appreciate yeah. it. Do you want to just, yeah, just share one more time a little bit about your business and where people can oh, sure. find you and what, what you guys do and all that good stuff. Yep. Yeah. Just real quick. So, um, the website where you can find out everything we do is expathomes.io. So E X P A T expat homes, H O M E S dot I O. Uh, it was just one that was available. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, I, don't, I don't think whoever has dot com isn't doing anything with it, but they don't, you know, whatever. So, um, that's where you can find it. And you could find me on Twitter at uh, Mr. Sterling, all spelled out M I S T E R S T E R L I N G. That's probably where I'm easiest to find. But um, yeah, we specifically help people buy properties in countries that are not their home countries and navigate the relocation visa thing. We started to work with more companies. That's been interesting too. So, companies who want to help more than one employee move to a specific country or get set up there. So we're not doing visa services ourselves, but we have good connections. You know, sometimes you want a lawyer, sometimes you just want somebody on the ground, whatever. Uh, so and so then, it's not just a place to get listings. You guys actually work with people to help them yeah. solve some of the problems we discussed today. Yep, yep. And a lot of times we're, um, you know, it's like if we we will if we if we're directed toward a certain market because there's a need from one of our customers then we'll go make agent connections there because i mean they're you know they're about 180 countries that we want to get into and i think we're only at 50 some right now so it's like we'll get there eventually but a lot of the you know our efforts can be redirected if there's an immediate need um for example you know it's like i was getting to know a bunch of great agents in albania you know last week um just because i had clients who were like hey not only do i want to invest but i want to do some development there and you know i have some employees and all the rest so, um, so that just moved Albania up the list. So if there's something, you know, it's like, if you go look and don't see any listings or any information about a certain country, just go ahead and hit us up on the, you know, contact form and say, Hey, who do you know in this area? Um, you know, we could know people already and just haven't gotten around to putting listings up or, 
uh, maybe that's our opportunity to go work for you. But in any case, it's free. So it doesn't cost you anything as a buyer to use our site. So. I feel like it's you probably are pretty busy right now. <laughs> yeah, it's, you just have to surrender to the fact that you you know you're not necessarily gonna get everything done that you want to. So yeah, right on, cool. Well, uh, appreciate your time. Thanks again for all the advice today and for coming on the show. And yeah, thank yeah, you. Can, Glad it worked we can out. Keep in touch. Yeah, sounds good. Well, yeah, let me know if you need anything else. Take care. Thanks. There you have it, my conversation with John. If you want to do some daydreaming or some actual shopping, don't forget to check out his website and wondering what you think or what you thought of this conversation and this show. Are you keen to investigate some potential places to live overseas? How did this uh, hit you today? Just wondering uh, what's going on out there. So if you want to give me some feedback, you know where to get in touch. And of course, one of the other reasons I ask people to get in touch is to make some guest recommendations. If you have any topics you want me to cover, specific people you'd like me to bring on, I love getting those emails and those letters and those voice messages. And I always add them into my queue and do the best I can to accommodate because this is a community-powered show Obviously, I make this show for you. I'm not sitting here in my loft office uh, talking to myself, <laughs> looking at the rain. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm talking to the microphone to you, my friend. That's the whole point. So you can talk back. Just, just reminding you, you can talk back. Get in touch. Let me know what is up. And um, that was fun. That was a fun episode. Always good to think about some life in other places. It, it, it's never quite what you expect in good ways and and bad ways, I suppose. When I moved to Norway, I didn't really know what to expect, but there were certainly a lot of challenges and some that I, I guess I found unexpected. Uh, But in the end, it's given me a lot of new perspectives, not only on my home country, but just on my own life, on myself as an individual. And that's what travel does for us too, right? I mean, it's just a... a longer form of travel in some ways, although this feels like home and is home, but home is also my home country in many ways. I got to give a shout out to my mom, by the way, who sent a package over with two boxes of Cheez-Its in it. And (laughs) you can't get Cheez-Its here in Norway, like the legit Cheez-Its. Yeah, I'm not above some good old-fashioned American junk food, you know? got to get your fix. So anyway, I posted a picture in the Americans in Norway Facebook group. There's a little Facebook group for Americans here and with a, just a thumbs up with the Cheez-Its box and I got some replies. Somebody said, you know, I want to be happy for you, but you know, this is making me extremely jealous or, so, or something along those lines. So it's good to know I wasn't the only one jonesing for some Cheez-Its over here. Okay. Well, I don't have to talk about Cheez-Its anymore. I will let you go. I, you know, although you probably have a hankering for some uh, particular foods when you're gone for a long time, right? It's not just me. I know you do. So I, I know I'm not alone there. Okay, let me reach into the quote drawer here, the magical, mystical quote drawer, and see what I can pull out. This one is from Ramana Maharashi. Take refuge in silence. You can be here or there or anywhere. 
fixed in silence, established in the inner, quote, I, you can be as you are. There you go. Here or there or anywhere, wherever you are, (laughs) enjoy the silence, enjoy your day, and thank you for spending time with me. And I'll see you next time. Peace and much love to you. This podcast has been brought to you by ZeroToTravel.com. Ideas and advice to make your travel dreams a reality. 